welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan podcast that overanalyzes the 1984 horror comedy classic Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. And I'm ready. And today we are going to bring you the first 60 seconds of the film Ghostbusters. Let's go ahead and dive into the first minute of the film Ghostbusters. What we're going to do here off the top, we're going to recap the first minute. And then we're going to go into details that you have noticed, details that I have noticed, and we're going to just basically like go off the top of what we love about this first minute of this fantastic film. So without further ado, here we go. At 00, zero we have the Columbia Pictures logo. At zero, 010 seconds, we hear the first flutter of the soundtrack. At 14 seconds in, a theremin is heard. At second 24, we fade in on the under construction New York Public Library located at Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street. 30 seconds in, pigeons fly up and lots of extras located on the exterior of the New York Public Library. At second 38, the camera pans down to a lion, foreshadowing possibly the demon dogs from later in the movie. Those are really known as terror dogs, but okay. At 39 seconds, Alice Drummond as a librarian is introduced. At 45 seconds, we get a nice tone setting by the score. It's beginning to get a little bit more eerie. At 56 seconds, we do see producer Joe Medjic walk by the camera. At 58 seconds, Alice descends the staircase into the Los Angeles Public Library basement. And that is our first 60 seconds of Ghostbusters. Now what we're going to do is go into in-depth detail of filming, trivia, uh, things we felt about the movie. So let's start up here at the top. Now I want to talk about something right off the top. We see Columbia at the very beginning for the Columbia Pictures logo. There have been several versions of Columbia through the years. This version of Columbia is actually a digitally painted version of Jenny Joseph, who was a graphic artist for the New Orleans Times-Picayune. Columbia Pictures was originally called Cohen Bandit Con Film Sales. They released mostly moderately, budget films, uh, moderately budgeted films, including films by Frank Capra. In the 1940s, they saw a lot of success with Rita Hayworth, Jack Lemmon, Kim Novak, and Lucille Ball under contract. Uh, in 1989, Sonya bought Columbia Pictures for $3.4 billion, which brings us into the current era of Columbia, which is owned by Sony Pictures. Yeah, we, you know, we start off, we open up on the movie, and if you had not told me that I was going into a comedy, I wouldn't know any better. You know, everything about this opening from the music to the imagery to the pacing is a horror movie. It's eerie. It's incredibly eerie. It's incredibly effective. Dan Aykroyd's original concept for Ghostbusters was very science fiction, very sci-fi heavy. When Dan Aykroyd originally wrote his script, Ghost Smashers, which became Ghostbusters after several revisions at the request of Ivan Reitman, the first shot of the movie was the Ecto-1 coming out of the Ghostbusters, uh, I guess we're going to call it Firehouse. So if that version of the movie had happened, the Ghostbusters would have been established by that point. We aren't seeing them from the beginning. We're getting them like, you know, as like epic poetry would be like Meteor Ray. We are, this version of the script, and one of the great things about this movie is it's the story of small businessmen creating a startup and going from there. So we're taking it back even further than it would have been in the original script. In the lore, we're taking it back to like the first appearance of a full floating you know, phantasm yeah, yeah. in the movie. Which, which, is, which is important to, I think, getting to get behind the underdog characters of the Ghostbusters. That's what makes this movie great to me. Is it's a blue-collar, everyman story of like basically some janitors that got a job you know, picking up the trash of the, of the netherworld. Yeah, that, that really is the bedrock of the whole movie. And that's Ivan Reitman's touch. Uh, he said that if audiences are going to connect with this movie, if it's going to work, it needs to be something tangible. We need an origin story, if you will, and that... Uh, that is, I think that's really why the movie works. It's his reworking of Aykroyd's script. Let's and talk about the soundtrack for a second. Absolutely. Because we get into the soundtrack. It's 10 seconds in the movie. You hold on that picture of Columbia there 
for a while before mm-hmm. the music actually yeah. hits. And it's just a slight little 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 flutter of something. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, I thought this was a, a you know Saturday Night Live uh, cast comedy that I was getting into here. But, right, and, and you go in and you're waiting for, I don't know, something to happen, something that's going to get you pumped up or let you know that you're going to be watching something enlightening and comedic. No, we hold on Columbia for entirely too long. Yeah. And, and it's unsettling. And then those first little notes of music, are they just really set you off. At 14 seconds, we hear an instrument called a theremin. Do you know what a theremin oh, is? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a theremin, for the listeners out there that don't know, it's a, it's a radio-controlled musical instrument that you use with your hand free, not touching anything. So basically, there's an antenna sticking up, and you're waving your hand out in front of it. It was using a lot of, like, uh, it's a throwback to yeah, older horror fiction. movies. Yeah, but okay. it works... To this day, it works here, and it does kind of give this creepy, creepy, ethereal, like ghostly vibe to the movie. So when I saw, I saw Led Zeppelin back in like 1998. Really? Uh, yeah, I didn't I, know that. I saw. Well, it was Page and Plant. Page and Plant. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jimmy Page had a theremin on stage that he was playing a lot, and it was the silliest thing because he'd come out and he'd wave his hand by it, and when he did, the whole crowd was like, yeah, like erupting. So it's just this weird thing. <laughs> All the theremin like, fans. Yeah, the he's like uh, holding his hand out, like doing it like he's casting a spell. Or, I mean, maybe, you know, Jimmy Page probably thought he actually was. So he was like right. waving it around the antenna, and everybody was going crazy. But it's a, yeah, you don't usually think like rock music and theremins go together, but in this case, <laughs> it actually did. So Well, if anybody could pull it off, it's it's Jimmy Page, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, just to touch on the soundtrack of the movie, it's uh, by Elmer Bernstein. And I mean, an incredibly grand score that you wouldn't, would be a part of a comedy. So this is the New York Public Library, and it's located on Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street. And uh, there's a lot of extras out there, too. So there's a lot of casting that had to be involved, the extras out there, that early in the morning, 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. So this original shot going down was actually supposed to be two shots. Really? Yeah, and they combined it into one. There was going to be one establishing shot of the New York Library, and then they had to push in on... The lion. the lion. But I'm assuming because the uh, abbreviated schedule shooting that morning, they had to go ahead and just get everything and combine them into, into the two shots into one, and it works fine. Pigeons come up at the perfect moment. You think New York, you think pigeons. You think New York, you think stone lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're really just kind of thrust right up to this aggressive animal. This thing, that's, and, and again, just like holding on Columbia without there being any music. A very deliberate move, and it's really unsettling. The thing that kind of gives this movie that feel right off the bat is the scaffolding on the outside of the library. It right. gives it a sort of lived-in feel. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that just continues on throughout the movie. And um, Well, that's New York of the 1980s. And that's yeah, a big aspect was... of this movie. Is New York was a disgusting place in the 1980s. It was crime-ridden. It was gross. It was falling apart. But it had this endearing quality. You know, I mean, like, you and I have been to New York. I love New York. Such an amazing town. There are some of... The great New York movies, if yes. you will, and this is no exception. This is one of the one of the ones that stands out most as a, just a New York movie. Of course, there's this, and then there's Richard's Gears, Autumn in New York, starring oh. Richard Gere and Winona yeah, Absolutely, I mean, Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, exactly. Can't go wrong. So, uh, <laughs> and then Donald Trump's famous uh, cameo at the New York Plaza Hotel. Exactly. So, uh, you you have that lived in aspect of having that scaffolding outside of the library, uh, which is the New York Public Library, and of course the scenes at the New York Public Library had to be filmed from 5 a.m. in the morning to 10 a.m. That's all. Everything that happens there happens in one day. So they had to set up the lighting. They had to get Alice Drummond there as a librarian to go through. They had to get all the extras in place. All that had to be done in a five-hour period, which. For a filmmaking uh, crew and setup aspect, like that is unbelievable that they filmed that in five hours. And that's five hours in 1984. Yes. These days, you know, <laughs> at times different now. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, film equipment is so much lighter and right. just, I don't know, easier to move, I guess. 
you can pick up and do all that probably in five hours. This is 1984 when film equipment was just so clunky and heavy, and the fact that they can pull off something like that is, and make it work is incredible. There's a mindset these days that filmmakers that use CGI or they use green screens are using that as a crutch, and there's some sort of uh, tangible aspect of movies that were shot in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where you actually had to go to sets and shoot stuff. I'm not one of those people that thinks that that necessarily makes the movies better because I've seen some stuff with practical effects that isn't any better than some of the CG movies that you see these days. But with this movie, it is New York. It is New York AF, you know, it is, uh, it is like one of the quintessential New York films as you're talking about and, you know, shooting around, getting all these shots in New York was fantastic, even though they had to go back and shoot the interior scenes in LA for, you know, production purposes to keep the budget down. Uh, it's so cool to have an iconic thing. Like when, when I go to New York now and I go by the library, I look for the stone lion. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. That's the first thing I look for. When one, you know, I've been a few times or whatever. And, um, the last time I was there, I was in a cab on my way out of the city to the airport and I pass up the firehouse and I was just like, you know, there it is. I recognize it. Yeah. There's this icon, this thing. And I, it just, it's part of what gives the movie that natural lived in feel is these recognizable places sometimes that are run down and anyway. still a beautiful place. I love New York city. I love everything about it. And even at the time it was still something that you just, it's, there's something about New York. You do not find anywhere else in the world. It's such an amazing place. So, and then we pan down to the line, we see a bunch of pigeons fly up, and we go inside to see Alice Drummond, the librarian. Alice Drummond uh, was also in the movie Doubt, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. And I think she's perfectly cast in this movie. You know, the way she plays the librarian, she's very, like, meek and quiet. We meet her later, and she talks about, you know, uh, St. Germain or <laughs> family members or whatever. Yeah. She's this very unassuming person. She's the perfect foil for a ghost to come after here at the beginning of the movie. And that's another thing that I like about this movie is, is the pacing and the setup. This first section is so quiet. And it's a very slow build. And whenever she's, you know, these last couple of frames of the minute descending down into the basement, it just gets more and more foreboding. So here at second 56, Joe Medjick makes a little cameo and walks by. Now, Joe Medjick was a producer on the movie. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, he was a friend of Ivan Reitman's, and he was a teacher at University of California in Santa Barbara. So he's the bald guy, as you see, who <laughs> walked by at the last second before Alice walks out of frame, pushing her cart of books. And if you notice that cart of books, there's an inconsistency there. When we have the closer shot of her, all the spines are facing upward, but by the time she's leaving frame, all the books are upside down. Really? Yeah, so there's a little inconsistency there. Okay. Okay, so then at the very end here, we get uh, Alice Drummond walking down into the basement, which was actually not shot in New York. That's at the L.A. Public Library. And we're going to get a little bit into more of the L.A. Public Library's interesting history of that uh, when we do episode two. So, first minute of the movie does a lot of setup for tone of this movie, uh, which is, you don't have a lot of horror comedies these days. I don't know that audiences really appreciate that kind of thing. And if you did, you would constantly be comparing them to Ghostbusters. So I think a lot of filmmakers don't even try. They yeah. say, we'll never be able to top that, we'll never be able to come close, let's not even try. Which is a shame, because in the 1980s it seemed like horror and comedy were something. In fact, up until I'd say maybe the early 2000s, horror and comedy were combined a lot. You know, uh, it's... I think it's a cultural thing with the Americans that it's uh, something that we enjoy. I know like for France, for example, like they don't like horror comedy. They like horror and they like comedy and they don't like the two to me. It's, it's definitely something that is not going to uh, appeal to every culture, I guess. I don't know. It's such sure. a specific thing. Yeah, yeah. It's being able to laugh at the macabre, you know, right. which we have, a, I think, a long history 
in this country of, of finding gallows humor funny, yeah. you know, and this movie's full of it. But here, this first minute of the movie, I think it's got a nice eerie setup. It's going to continue on further into the next minute. And then the comedy starts to pick up at about minute three when we're introduced to the Peter Bankman character. Yeah, and before then, I mean, just this slow build gets increasingly more, I don't know, disturbing. You know, you see this meek little librarian who's suddenly being pursued by this horrible force and it's just it's an incredibly unsettling thing to watch like where are the jokes if i went to see this movie i'm like where the hell is my snl cast what am i seeing yeah so it's a i don't know it's an interesting way to start this comedy definitely so you got anything else to add that's it well thanks again for joining us today for the first 60 seconds of ghostbusters we'll be back tomorrow to cover minute number one where alice has now descended into the new york public library thank you so much for joining us today again i'm kyle i'm ready and we will be back tomorrow with minute number one of ghostbusters and we want to remind you that death is but a door time a window we'll be back ghostbusters minute is a fan-supported podcast to become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, Instagram at ghostbustersminute, and visit our website at ghostbustersminute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.